0: so excited to have kelly and larry bigelow here um we took the youth group to go and do a mission trip with them probably gosh it's been 13 or 14 years ago um and they do an incredible ministry they're an incredibly beautiful rugged uh remote part of alaska even though it's called the crossroads of alaska but you know there's 10 times as many people in sawmills north carolina down the road so uh, but they do an incredible ministry so we're so so thankful for you all love you all so much I'm just going to tell you about people that I hate real quick. You might get a word from me if I catch you not putting your shopping cart back in the parking lot of the supermarket. I will chase you down and say something nasty to you. I have never done it yet, but the thought has crossed my mind many times. And so this past weekend was kind of a nice day on Sunday. I'm going by Lowe's Supermarket, the Wonder Mountain View, and I watch this lady, I, I just kind of see it out of the corner of my eye, and she's in her car right there, and then just leaves, her, leaves it right there, leaves, her, leaves, leaves the cart right there, getting in, her, getting in her car, and I just start walking over there to her, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting ready to say, but I've just been to church, and I feel really holy. So I'm walking over there to her, and I'm, I'm kind of like, what that, that, 20, that last 20 feet to take that car back was so hard, wasn't it? Or, you know, I was like, man, legs just don't work these well these days. Or so I always just had a zinger. I was like, you know, I, I don't even know what was. And as I'm walking up to her, I see her like she's holding on to the handle, like lowering herself back into the car. And I can tell, obviously, she has, has a lot of mobility issues. And Jesus was like, And I grabbed her cart and I said, can I take this back for you? Well, don't, no, no, don't, because you know what I wanted to say. If she had been healthy, she would have heard something else. But praise the Lord that in his grace, he shut the mouth of the lion or the donkey, as it were. And uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I, I was so wanted to judge her. I so wanted to. And I just, just like Wes said, I got close enough to where God said, shh. shh, 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 shh. And so this judging, this whole thing about judging, uh, this is actually non-Christians' favorite verse in the Bible. Right? Non-Christians and atheists love this verse. And matter of fact, they know it in the King James. It's like if you, if you talk to a non-Christian there and you say, well, you don't believe in God. And they say, judge not lest ye be judged. And I'm like, you, now all of a sudden we're taking the Bible literally? Okay. But they know it. Why? Why do they know it? because it's it's their favorite verse it's it's the verse that trips up Christians so much and i want to say this to you very carefully the bible is very consistent about love from cover to cover the bible is very consistent about salvation the bible is very consistent about hope the bible is very consistent about truth the bible is extremely consistent about god's holiness but the bible seems to have a varied message when it comes to judging and i and i simply would counter that by saying does jesus have a problem explaining judgment Or is it maybe that we have a problem understanding it? And and that's where I want to camp. But before we get into this, we're going to see that the Bible talks about judging in many different ways. You're going to hear what Jesus says. And Jesus is going to say, both in this exact text, don't judge. And then the text wraps up with, make sure you judge. And then if you, you look at James, James, will, you better not be judging people. And then we go to Paul in 1 Corinthians, and he's like, don't you know you should be judging people? And we kind of go, wait, wait a minute. Whew, hold on. Back up. What, I want to grasp this. I probably don't do a good job, Lord. Help me out. And so a couple quick things before we get into the text. First, this text is about the church. This text is about believer to believer, disciple to disciple, follower of Christ to follower of Christ. This is not about us going out on the street corner, you know, across from wherever it is that people are doing something and us telling them where they're going to go for all eternity. This is about church to church, believer to believer. It's a text for the church. The second thing is, let's just be honest. We judge all the time. That's what we do. The reason why you're going to go to you know, Subway this afternoon instead of Dante's is because Subway's open. But other than that, it's also because you, I like that better. Well, why did you move to the neighborhood you moved to? Because this school system is better. Well, why, why are you watching this game this afternoon and not this game? You, you're judging. We judge all the time. That's what we do. Life is about making judgments, and we judge about things all the time. We make correct judgments, and there are times where you go, well, wow, I have had a couple beers. I am not going to go get in the car, and that is a great judgment call. You just made a judgment against yourself. So we judge all the time. And thirdly, Jesus wants to remind you that this text is about first self-judgment we judge ourselves first. And we judge ourselves first by God's standards, standards, not so that then we can turn around and condemn other people, but we judge ourselves first by God's standards so that we can help others. And that's Jesus is very specific about helping others. So let's turn in your Bible. If you got your Bible out, you take the Pew Bible out. Look at look at 7 verse 1. So we're in Matthew 7:1. Remember this is Atheist and non Christians' favorite verse right here. So you can say, Yeah, I know that verse. That's Matthew 7 1. Let's read the rest of that. Would you like to hear that? But right here, Jesus says, right at the beginning, Stop. What did we hear about worry last week? Stop. Don't do it. But he says, Stop. But then the word he uses for this part of worry is the word crino. Now, that word is very broad. It, it's, it could mean a personal judgment, a corporate judgment, a group judgment. It could mean judgments of all different kinds. And it's purposely broad because Jesus wants to give you, through the rest of the text, the context for that word so that you'll be able to apply it exactly the way he's thinking. And so what this incredibly general term refers to later on in the text or as we see it carried out, it refers to an unfair, critical attitude that we have against others. An unfair, critical attitude that we have against others, and we'll see later on it is an unfair, critical attitude that also is supported by a neglect of self-reflection and of self-introspection and of self-judgment. And so in verse 2, verse 2 is actually the, the specific echo of the generality of verse 12. And verse 12 is, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know that. Your mom taught you that when you slapped your brother. She, she, she made you memorize that verse. But it, this verse 2 is the echo of verse 12. And it is also this verse is also parallel in Luke chapter 6, 37 through 38. And so what he's saying is the type and the measurement of judgment that you give is going to come back to you. So this is, this is Jesus' call against judgment by your own standards. So what he's talking about is people are judging by their own standards, not God's standards. And so as believers, if we judge by God's standards and then we apply that to ourselves and we go, all right, God, by what standard am I judged? Do you know what the Lord will come back and say to those of us who are in Jesus Christ? The standard by which you are judged is grace. When you put your trust and faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ, when you come to God and stand before him in judgment, how does he judge you? He has already judged his son in your place. So your standard is grace. And so he's like, if you have been given grace, why aren't you giving grace? So we get into verse 2, verse 3. At verse 3, Jesus does these things. You Remember last week we were talking about, you know, two weeks ago we were talking about cutting off your arm or gouging your eye out. Well, again, he comes up with this extreme example because he wants you to see. This is an extreme example of an unfair, critical attitude with a severe lack of self-examination. A self that is so blinded by selfish sin that it can neither point out faults in others or help anyone deal with them. And so part of it is that one of the things that we love to do in pointing out the faults in others is if we can magnify someone else's sin, it definitely helps us feel like we're minimizing our own sin. Well, look at that. I mean, come on. you saw. I mean, listen, in your life, well, he's saying you're so self-blinded because you're magnifying the sin in someone else and completely glossing over to make yourself feel better about the obvious sin that's in your life. And then he says this really harsh word in verses 4 and 5. And so in verses 4 and 5, Jesus will say, Jesus will say, I want you to give yourself a true, deep spirit-led examination. So when when we read about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, and in Romans chapter 8, but especially in in John, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and he will not leave you. And two, he will lead you into all truth. He is the counselor. And so he's saying, you first need to give yourself true, deep, spirit-led, true, deep, and spirit-led. There are a lot of times where we we love to say, yeah, yeah, I'm sinful, I know, okay, and then let's go on. But guys, guess what? When someone says something sinful to you, do you say, they said something sinful to me, or do you go, they said this to me, and you remember it? He's saying, listen, that same Judgment that you make of other people, could you apply and could you turn that magnifying glass back on yourself and not by yourself to self-flagellate you, but spirit-led? When you encounter this sin in your life, guess what? You encounter it and you see it, even if it's hidden. When you bring it to the Lord, what are you received with? Grace, mercy. And so this part of it is that He is coming back to say this in verses four and five because the Pharisees and the people that are around that would have been listening, the Pharisees would judge other people to make themselves look good. But what he is oppositely saying for Christians is he says, Christians, judge and examine yourselves so that you can help others look good. Not not just judge other people to make yourself look good. Judge yourself to make them look good. And so part of it is that we look to Christ for the standard of judgment. And Christ's standard of judgment, it's grace. How how are we received by Christ? With grace. Have we done anything to merit his love and his acceptance? No, he did it all on the cross. And so we're going to get grace for the log in our own eye. And then we're going to give grace as we come and we try to help others, even if that's in judging. And then verse 6. What did he say in verse 1? Don't judge lest you be judged or don't judge unless you want to be judged yourself. And in verse 6, he says you're going to have to figure out there's some pigs and some dogs out there in this world. This sounded very judgmental, Jesus. But this verse is very judgmental. Does it seem who how are we going to tell who's who's a swine and who's a dog? But listen, when he says judge, this whole text is not about not judging ever. He never says, you just worry about you. This text is actually completely about judging correctly. And so when he talks about this whole idea of what you do and don't throw your pearls before swine, we got to remember that Jesus walked this out on his own. If you want to look at John 3, 4, and 7 to see this, check it out. Because how does Jesus deal with a respected leader in Nicodemus? Does he chastise him? No, he talks to him about being born again. How does he deal in John chapter 4 with a woman caught in adultery? He talks about her sin and he offers her living water. And then in John chapter 7, when Jesus' own family shows up to basically mock him and say, why don't you go up to Jerusalem for the festival? Does he have this script that he pulls out and whips out on every single person on how he's going to deal with people that do him wrong or that he disagrees with or that are in the wrong? No, he deals with them each individually. And so in John chapter 7, he refuses to rebuke or return a mock for a mock. But he, says, he just simply says, no, my time is not the time. Right now is not the time. And then later on, when the, when the Pharisees are even trying to trap him into who he is, who do you say? He refuses to answer them. He will not throw pearls before swine. So in this text, there is a lot about judging, and what we don't lean on is our own understanding, but we lean on the Holy Spirit to guide us to be a people who judge correctly and who first look at ourselves.
1: My own study of this passage led me to a conclusion that not many others... Uh, Conclude from this text, and maybe you won't either, but I actually reframe this passage that I think what Jesus is doing in these six verses is he's giving us instructions on how to confront someone else in their sin. So you begin with verse one, and it's like, don't judge, and you, you, you don't, this is not where Jesus is going. But wait a minute, the end of verse five, I think he gets to the point of it, which is then you will be able to see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I could be wrong, but I'm seeing all six of these verses sort of centered around that question of when and how do you confront someone else in their sin? So Jesus says three things, and let me just summarize what Pastor Paul said. First of all, he says, don't judge, but the but the the uh, the Greek is continuous action. So don't keep judging. Don't persist in judging. Don't always judge. Don't make it a habit of judging. That's the first command that he gives. Like don't, this isn't your default in every situation. That's important before you ever confront someone else in their sin that you understand it's not, it's not my job to go around and be everyone's corrector, right? So don't continually judge is the first thing he says. The second thing he says is examine your own life and make sure that you get rid of the things in your life that would prevent you from being heard by that person. So get rid of the plank and then you'll be able to see clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his eye. And the third place he comes is this idea of dogs and pigs. And, And one of the really important clarifications to make is that people in first century Palestine did not own dogs. They didn't let Fido sleep on the bed. They did not touch pigs or dogs if they could. They did not breed them. Both kinds of animals are used in the passage, not because Jesus is being cruel or mean or because he doesn't like your precious little Bruno, but because in his culture, these were symbols of something that's unclean. So basically he's saying, don't give what is holy, what is clean, to someone who's not ready for it, who's not able to receive it, to someone who's unclean. So this is where Pastor Paul, as he said, he's talking about how we deal in the body of Christ. So again, I think this is very consistent here. Jesus is making his third point about when to confront, and that is the point that you don't just do this with anybody. You do it with someone with whom you have a close enough relationship in the body of Christ to be the right person to confront. Okay, so I'm just sort of summarizing what the text says. First of all, don't keep judging. Second, examine yourself. And third, um, make sure that you, that you are the right person and this is the right situation and the right time to confront. So you may not agree that that's what the text is all about, but that's the conclusion to which I came. Which leads me now to the conclusion of my sermon, which will last about ten more minutes, All right. So, uh, the the first thing I want to do is just offer a little bit of perspective. What Jesus asks us to do here is impossible. It can't be done to do this right all the time in every situation. Sometimes we confront too much, sometimes we confront too little, sometimes we do uh, a a whole lot, uh, way too much prejudging and condemning before we know the facts, and the truth is that this is very much in keeping with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So I just want to remind you that the whole Sermon on the Mount is raising the standard to the level of the impossible, Love your enemies. Don't ever lust. Don't ever worry. Don't store up for things thinking that you're going to somehow find your security in that. Don't ever pray with a mixed motive so that somebody else might know that you're praying. Like by the time you get to every single one of them, you're going like, I can't do that all the time. And in in case you missed it otherwise, Jesus has already said, and by the way, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So let's just get right out there that once again, he's giving us an additional illustration of something that is absolutely impossible to do. You're not going to always do it well or right. So take, for example, on the issue of judging. Do you realize? Well, let, let me go to Romans chapter uh, one and two here for a moment. In Romans chapter one and two, the apostle Paul does one of my favorite things in all of his letters because in chapter one, he gets you thinking about all of the sins of them. And look, go back and look at the pronouns again. They're their sins, and so think about all those pagans out there who don't know God, who deserve God's judgment, and he and he has you thinking about them. Those teenagers who don't obey their parents those people are always engaging in lustful and uh, adulterous and fornicating acts and those people who are violent and you're thinking them 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 and then he gets to chapter two and he says now you who judge them you are guilty of exactly the same thing so it's actually uh, biochemically impossible not to judge Your brain, uh, in its limbic system, which is the part that you don't necessarily control by your reason, is where you make immediate judgments about what situations are fearful or threatening or you know, that, that, that you might have to run away from. So your brain is actually doing things about judging before you ever consciously say, I'm going to not be around that person, or I think that person's guilty, or that person's trouble. Your brain is doing that for you. So this is my point. Jesus is, first of all, setting up for you a situation that is impossible to keep. And when you get there, you're ready to do it. When you're ready to say, like, God, I can't do this well, he says, okay, but I want you to do it. And it won't always work out well. It won't always be the way you want it to be, but I want you to do it. It's part of what it means to be in a community. It's part of what it means to be in a family. It's part of what it means to be in a church. It's part of what it means to be in a workplace. It's part of what it means to be in relationship with other people you need to confront from time to time. So then I started asking myself, okay, let me me illustrate that with one particular area. And this is where my Thursday morning Bible study said, Bob, don't go there. Guess where I'm going. So it started with uh, the fact that the Greek word for pearls, you remember that verse? Don't give your pearls to pigs. The Greek word for pearls is, and I literally, like I could read it out of the Greek, margaritas that's true don't give your margaritas to pigs okay so my bible study thought you'll lose everybody at that point like they're totally not focused on what's going on it's not that margaritas were invented back in the first century it's that the word margaritas actually margarita actually means pearl in the greek so that's where it comes from it's something that's precious unique, maybe small, delicate, but it's something that's really special. And so because of that, some women, particularly in a, in, a, in a Hispanic or Spanish tradition, were named Margaret, which comes from the word margarita, which means pearl. And then during the Prohibition era, ironically, when Americans were not supposed to drink at all, they would go across the border down into Mexico, and they learned about this really cool drink that's, uh, that's now become the the, the most well-known uh, tequila cocktail in the world, and we didn't even know about it until the, the, the prohibition law said you can't drink at all. Let's go down to Mexico across the border, and wow, they have cool drinks down there and bring them back home. So it occurred to me that maybe one of the ways that we ought to think about applying this is in the realm of alcohol. So how do you apply what Jesus said about when to confront and how to confront when it comes to the use of alcohol the consumption of alcohol and i don't have to tell you that the extremes in our society are fairly well obvious so on the one hand you have the prohibition tradition i was raised in that tradition by the way uh... full disclosure i don't drink the main reason i don't drink is because i think every alcoholic beverage i've ever tasted was nasty why would you pay pay good money to force yourself to learn something, to, to drink something that tastes nasty. That's me, okay? And I was raised in this tradition, so I, I didn't you know even taste it until I was well along in years. But having said that, there's this one tradition in America, in Christian America in particular, particular that says don't ever drink. And then you've got another parallel tradition in our society which says like you know it's nobody's business what you drink don't judge what other people drink and I thought well maybe that would be a good delicate place to ask the question what does it mean when and how do we confront someone when we believe the use of alcohol is very negative in their lives so let me go back over these points that Jesus gives us and I'll wrap it up with this number one You examine your pattern. So if you come out of a tradition that's not only a a non-drinking tradition but that is judgmental toward those who do drink, then you're doing the same thing, you're doing a self-check that Pastor Paul had when he saw the woman with the grocery cart leaving it in the middle of the parking lot. You're saying, I need to slow down, not everybody who buys a six-pack, not everybody who who orders a drink at a restaurant, is abusing alcohol. So I need to examine my pattern. Do I judge everyone, right? Am I just a judgmental person when it comes to alcohol? I have to examine my own heart and life to make sure that's not the case. I'm never ready to confront someone about the abuse of alcohol until I first checked myself, my own attitude. Am I the kind of person who always judges in this particular area? Then there's the second point, examine your hypocrisy. So before I can uh, confront someone else, excuse me, I do still have some of the crud. Before I can confront someone else's drinking habits, I do need to check my own. So even if you believe you use alcohol responsibly in what settings do you use it Do you always have to have a drink? Are you one of these people that that when you go to a party or you host a party, you always have to have it without regard for someone who may be at that event who may have a really deep and and troubling issue about alcohol? So I have to examine my own hypocrisy. Uh, How much of, of a requirement is it in my life to have my own pain or disappointment or struggle Uh, numbed by alcohol? Is that one of the reasons that I drink? So I'm not assuming that. I'm just saying you have to be willing to ask that question for yourself. You have to examine your own hypocrisy. And then finally, you have to examine, flip the page here, examine your motive. Why am I doing this? So this is where we get to this part about the pigs and the dogs. Because what, what Jesus is saying is, if you... Uh, Are confronting at the wrong time in the wrong way with the wrong attitude and you just have to do it Then maybe it's really more about you than it is about concern for the person so when is this not about my need to correct you and my need to feel holier than you are and when is it really about my concern for this pattern of behavior that may be destroying your life, your job, your relationships, your intimacy, your your it, just fun and, and enjoyment with other people. So I have to discern that and not giving your 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 pearls to swine simply means at this moment this this person is not holy enough to receive this holy exhortation from me. It's a very, it's a pearl in a sense. It's a, it's a privilege to confront someone else and say, I believe that the Lord has asked me to speak to, to you about this in your life. That's a treasure. It's something that has to be guarded with great humility and grace and self-examination. So before I ever would think about confronting anyone about this sin or any other sin, I need to make sure that this is the right moment and that I'm the right person and that this is the right way in which I'm going to confront. So again, I think this passage really from Jesus is about not don't ever think someone else's behavior is wrong and don't ever say anything about it. I think it is rather a how-to do the impossible. And part of it comes back to the idea this is impossible. I'm never going to do it exactly right, but I still need to do it because I follow Jesus, and Jesus has given me the instructions about how to confront someone else in their own sin. Examine my own heart, my motives. Examine my own behavior, and examine my pattern. Let's pray together. And would you just lift up someone in your own heart and in your prayers that it may not be this issue, it may be one of any one of hundreds of others that you've been sort of wrestling with, how do I go about this? Listen, don't wait until you can do it perfectly or until you are a perfect person. Do wait until you've placed that person, their face, their life, that moment into deep prayer that comes with your own self-examination. So take a moment and pray for him or her and you as we wait before the Lord.